here are the facts. At oh, 0800 hours, prisoner Murphy, through carelessness on his part, was found dead in vent shaft 17. He seems to have been sucked into a ventilator. <laughs> At about 2100 hours, prisoner Gollick reappeared in a deranged state. Prisoners Boggs and Reigns are missing. There seems to be a good chance that they have met with foul play at the hands of prisoner Gollick. We need to organize and send out a search party. Volunteers will be appreciated. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that our smoothly running facility has suddenly developed a few problems. I can only hope we are able to all pull together over the next few days until the rescue team arrives for Lieutenant Ripley. It's here. You got Clemens. Stop this raving at once. I'm Stop telling it. you. It's here. Stop here and get that foolish woman back to the infirmary. What happens when Lieutenant Ellen Ripley crash lands on your prison planet? Well, if you know Ripley, you know you'd better prepare for trouble. What follows are the adventures of a brilliant cast stuck in a foundry with an ugly xenomorph and an exceptionally bad script. David Fincher makes his big screen debut with this convoluted sequel that almost drove him to quit filmmaking altogether. Though this off-maligned entry wasn't enough to blow this franchise out of the airlock. This is Alien 3, and you're listening to the Anti-Monitor Podcast from DoomRocket.com. Listening to Anti Monitor from DoomRocket.com. Knew it, I'm surrounded by assholes. I'm not even gonna dignify myself with a response to that. Well, that's right, it looks like we've finally woken from cryo sleep. It's Anti Monitor time again. My name's Matt Birdman Fleming, and with me as always, Jared Jones, editor in chief of DoomRocket.com, and our own space cyborg. Space cyborg. Well, I mean, I haven't been able to prove that you're human yet. Hey, I show emotion. Well, so does uh, Lance Fredrickson. Fredrickson? Lance Fredrickson. Lance Fredrickson of Hollywood? Of Hollywood, Lance Fredrickson. (laughs)
<laughs> oh my god. So that's right. We are delving off to a roaring start. We're stepping our toes into the alien world of Alien Three. Right. With the impending covenant that is Alien Covenant. That's right. We're talking Alien Three in spite of ourselves. Here we are. Yeah. What, 30 years after the original Alien? Mm-hmm. Or th- more than 30. Has to be. And Ridley Scott is going back to the well. Yeah, again. Again. Yeah. He didn't have to. It's interesting because all the Alien movies in the quadrilogy, I suppose, have been uh, fronted by different filmmakers. Mm-hmm. You had Ridley Scott for Alien, James Cameron for Aliens, Fincher for Three, and then um, Dudu did Amelie, I guess. French for guy. Four. Yeah, yeah, French guy. Um, so there, really, Scott didn't really need to take ownership of this franchise. It was languishing long before he decided to come back with Prometheus. But, I mean, unless we forget, mm-hmm. there was Alien versus Predator and then Alien versus Predator, the second one, and then we went to Prometheus. So, like, if we're counting those is canon if this is like a bonafide franchise then it's a shitty franchise oh yeah what are you doing david i'm attempting to open the door wait we don't know what's on the other side (coughs) oops sorry regardless of what anyone has to say about it no matter how portentous prometheus turned out to be and how much of a return to form covenant turns out to be maybe no matter what this all boils down to uh boogeyman monster in space Uh, the entire thing is pretty much beholden to the fact that they had one of the most gifted illustrators, artists of yeah. all time to create the look and the feel and, uh, you know, the terror of the alien of the xenomorph. Yeah, uh, it, it's iconic. It's instantly iconic. H.R. Giger. Giger. Yep. Uh, one of the greatest uh, movie monsters, period. That's pretty much what they've everyone's been hanging this franchise on is how awesome... The alien looked, and there were no aliens in Prometheus. Covenant looks like it's going to be the first time we have a bonafide xenomorph running amok, and it looks like there's only one. We're kind of on uh, on that tread again. Let's figure out where this franchise kind of stands as it is. Name two good alien movies, Bert. Alien. Aliens. Yes. And that's it. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I will admit, too, that I saw Alien vs. Predator 2, and it's actually... Requiem. Yeah, Requiem. It was decent what? for what it was. What? For, for a smash-em-up, it was decent. Okay, you got to justify yourself here, Bert. Uh, I'm trying to remember the female lead in that film. Uh, see, this is what's funny. Is well, that... was it like Freddy vs. Jason where they brought in like a pop starlet to star in it? No, like it Kelly was... Rowlands or something? No, it was not Kelly Rowlands. They they were smart. They would have hopped on the, the Beyonce train right away. <laughs> what? Uh, you know what? Maybe it wasn't the second one. Maybe it was the first one. See, this is my point. You can't justifiably say that either are good if you can't di- uh, distinguish one from the other. Yeah. How dare you? That's true. How dare you waste our uh, listeners' time? How dare you waste my time? This movie that we watched today has gotten me loopy. Well, okay, to be fair, we watched the special edition of Alien 3, and this one gets picked on the most. Everyone pretty much understands that AVP is garbage and its sequel's even worse. So it, it gets a pass a lot of the time as camp, as schlock, right? Right. Well, insofar as everything else is concerned, every other Alien movie is held up to this really peculiar standard. Alien, the first one, is a slasher movie in space. It's a space horror. It's an exceptionally good-looking one, and it has an amazing cast, and the dialogue's really cool, and the characters are awesome, and Ellen Ripley is such a great and iconic character that, yes, it's uh, it definitively a good movie. Ah, classic. Aliens is just as good, but completely different. It, it That's what's so fascinating to me about the Alien franchise, is that it can be anything you want it to be. 
In Alien, it's a slash movie in space. In Aliens, it's an action movie in space. And there's nothing particularly frightening about the alien aliens in Aliens. They're just a lot of them, and they're taking out all these people. Who survives at the end? Probably Ripley, right? That's true. Because if you kill her off, that's the end of the franchise. And that brings us to Alien 3, where it's neither a horror movie. Well, it's a horror movie, but it's also got a lot of action. It's like this weird synthesis between the two. And it really shows that 20th Century Fox didn't really know what they were doing with this movie. It, it really, really does show in terms of how like it shifts its gears and like the it catches the clutch every single time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it ground my gears. Oh, watching God. this thing again, but yeah, I think I've chipped a few gears mm-hmm. sitting through that movie. But I'll tell you this: I appreciated Alien Three a hell of a lot more than I did Prometheus. I'll tell you that. And if anyone's listening to this, going, "Oh, you're crazy," really evaluate what's going on here. Alien Three. For all its faults, and there are many, and we will get into those, for all its faults, it is an alien movie, through and through. Prometheus tries to add some sort of meaning of life subtext to the alien mythology for no acceptable reason whatsoever. And then it doesn't follow through based on its own conceit. Mm -hmm. To dare say that human and xenomorph are related, very tangentially, but related just the same, and then just kind of say whoopsie-daisy when it comes to following through on that idea, it's unacceptable. That movie was a colossal waste of time. Prometheus is what happens when Ridley Scott watches Tree of Life by (laughs) Terrence Malick and decides to make a Terrence Mm Malick-inspired alien movie. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And, you know, uh, Damon Lindelof did his best to infuse all of that garbage and bullshit that we put up with for Lost into Mm -hmm. this franchise and make it about something bigger than just aliens are scary they like to murder don't mess with them yeah so how can you take out this gorgeously rendered beautifully realized murder machine that bleeds acid and wants nothing more than to kill and take it out of your alien movie in prometheus there is none we get a weird cobra snake thing and then we get the engineers or the architects what are they called the engineers engineers and then you get the weird, gigantic face hugger thing that has sex with one of the engineers. And that's the movie pretty much. Yeah. Um, except when franchises of any kind jump the shark, you have mm. some moments that Well, we say stand nuke the out. fridge now. Nuke the fridge. Yeah. yeah, that's right. First, you point out something like, hey, remember these two diametrically opposed forces? Mm-hmm. They're brothers now. Hello. That's what happened in uh, Austin Powers and Goldmember yeah. is Dr. Evil and... Austin Powers turn out to be brothers. brothers. No, that you're absolutely right. Because in Resurrection, Ellen Ripley is, for all intents and purposes, the mother now, the queen of the aliens. Mm-hmm. And well, isn't that ironic? Oh, look. You beautiful, beautiful little baby. Look, it thinks you're its mother. And you're absolutely right. There comes a point when a franchise goes for far too long that you have to take these things that, that where one is not like the other and make them like intertwined. She literally, in Alien 3, Ellen Ripley says, I'm part of the family now. Yeah, and she does. And it's just like, womp, womp. But see, in Alien 3, that's against her. Like, like She had no idea she had this thing in her until it was far too late. And she had agency enough, at least in this movie, to handle business, right? 
So, spoilers, she kills herself. Sorry, Alien 3 came out in 1992. If you haven't seen it by now, why are you listening to this podcast? Mm-hmm. But in Alien Resurrection, she's cloned. And I think that's why in the special edition, the alien doesn't burst through her chest so they can explain that little plot point. In that movie, it's she's by design the alien mother. Right. It, whereas in Alien 3, it, there is a harmony there. It's not like Goldmember where we're just like, oh, we're in three movies in, Austin Powers and Dr. Evil are brothers now. Let's talk for a little bit about the pre-production of Alien 3, because I think it's probably far more fascinating than the actual film itself. Who's actually on the official credits as for writing this movie? Uh, This film is credited as being written by uh, David Geiler and Walter Hill, and then later Larry Ferguson, with a story by Vincent Ward. So the special edition of Alien 3 in the Blu-ray comes with this awesome documentary. Um, I highly recommend that you watch it. It talks on a lot of the insanity that went behind it. And I'm surprised Fox actually put it in their uh, their DVD mm-hmm. because it's not, very, it's not a very flattering story. It's actually a cautionary tale of what not to do in order to sustain a franchise. But this movie came out in May 22nd, mm-hmm. 1992. So holy crap, that's, that's coming up. Anniversary's yeah. coming up. Um, that was six years after the re- release of Aliens, and Fox hadn't really ha- had anything in, in the rafters. Like, nothing was percolating about Alien as a franchise. But for some reason, they were running out of money, and they decided that they needed to crank out, like, a sequel, like a cynical cash grab sequel, the kind of stuff we talk about all the time, but right. literally do that with Alien because we have it, and why the hell not? They asked William Gibson to do it first, mm-hmm. which I think is fascinating the man wrote neuromancer archangel among many other things and this movie could have turned out to be literally a dozen different things one draft featured hicks who's on the ship with uh ripley when it crashes at the beginning of alien 3 but he survives and it's ripley who remains in a coma and then he has to protect her against the wayland corporation on top of like a one of the beasts mm-hmm. um and then that's uh michael bine right yeah michael bine but there was another version that rennie harlan was going to do and he was going to direct mm-hmm. like he was literally going to do this movie um and it was going to take place on the alien home world but they were like there's no fucking way we're gonna be able to pay for this we're broke by the way we're not gonna pay for your alien home world movie that's just not gonna happen and i'm glad that they didn't because i don't want to know where they come from that's why i hate prometheus so much <laughs> i don't care where the xenomorphs come from that's not a story plot uh, plot point that means anything to me because it's not important. What's important is that they're alive and they want you dead. That's it. Yeah. That's the that's the point of the movie. We don't need to humanize xenomorphs. We don't need to go to their home planet yeah. and see xenomorph mom and dad and little kid and like they're going to the xenomorph grocery store <laughs> where I presume that they're buying heads, of yeah. hu- human heads mm-hmm. to eat and it's like. <laughs> that know. means I love you exactly. and Zeno speak. But um, obviously that didn't work out for Renning Harlan. He decided that they were going to probably try to have it take place on Earth. And I guess that Fox really liked that idea because they were putting out promo teasers that would insinuate that it was going to take place on Earth, which is also an equally stupid idea for a better example that see either of the AVP movies. But then this dude named Vincent Ward came along. Now, Vincent Ward had made this, like, I forget the movie that he made, but he made this really crazy, like, medieval movie that everyone absolutely adored. It, like, sweeped all the festivals, and, like, he was kind of, like, you know, the studio darling for a minute. You know how they like to poach indie darlings? and The Navigator. Yeah, The Navigator. That's it. Thank you. And so they wanted him, like, crazy to make this movie. So he flew in, and on his way, on the plane, he cooked up a pitch. Alien 3 would take place, and this was his pitch, on a planet made of, and I am not making this up, wood. A wood planet that would be inhabited chiefly by monks who left Earth to live a life without man's rules or technology, though it would have, like, advanced 
tech inside of its core to keep it operational. That's what... Anyhow, Ripley crash lands on that planet, and then she's taken in by the monks, who freak out because they don't want her living amongst them in their way of life, uh, which now you're starting to see shades of Alien 3 actually start to take shape here. Um, the monks get especially angry with her, not just for upsetting her established order, but because an alien had stowed away on her ship, and boom, there's another plot point that actually made, makes it into the movie. And it's seen throughout, picking up monks here and there, and they accuse Ripley of, and I'm not kidding, bringing in the devil himself to eradicate their way. And they and that kind of makes it into the movie, too, because then there's that uh, crazy dude who refers to the xenomorph as a dragon, mm-hmm. which I thought was a really interesting uh, little angle there, is that somebody would be insane and see this like lethal killing machine and see beauty in it. I mean, that's the most insane thing I've said today. Yeah, and well, and he even says, after he, spoiler alert, hmm. releases uh, the alien he says now what can i do now to serve you (laughs) tell me lord tell me when yeah exactly i am your servant lord yeah you just gotta you know sometimes you just gotta make someone crazy yeah and that pushes the plot forward Uh, yeah and it and it does it it does in a way because (laughs) because they really didn't need to have any of that in the movie no that's that's a huge chunk of the movie that just does not where they trap the xenomorph like charles s dutton and ellen ripley and all these crazy uh, prisoner types on prison outpost in Alien 3, they trap the Xenomorph, and then for 20 extra minutes, just kind of sit around putzing with talking amongst themselves. And then Crazy Guy finally lets him loose again, and then the movie could begin. Mm-hmm. But for like a good 20 minutes there, that, that just didn't need it just to happen. Crazy people are an awesome deus ex machina for your script. Screenwriters who are looking for a way to initiate their third act, and just <laughs> don't know how, just let the crazy person be crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Half an hour, Mina. What the hell are you talking about? Talk to me, please. You can't go in there, Nikit. The big motherfucker will eat you alive. Sorry. to it uh fox loved ward's pitch so much and greenlit it for a 1992 film release which gave him basically under 18 months to get this whole thing done written shot cut and then distributed which is impossible so the whole concept of the wooden planet turned out to be insanely expensive to make which go figure so fox came at ward with this list of changes uh it's gonna be in a mining colony instead and ward was like no this is a i have you greenlit my concept He's like, absolutely not. And he fought him. This upstart indie director told the studio where they can hang it. And they were like, <laughs> all right, you're fired. Which is, you know, total dick move. But nowhere near as shitty as what happened to David Fincher, who then came in to pick up this mess. Mm-hmm. To me, I mean, Fox is the number one studio in the country because they're all such a bunch of morons. Is one of the uncredited ghostwriters yeah. on the film where he just kind of tried to sweep stuff under mm-hmm. the rug and little davy fincher 26 years old that's crazy yeah it's crazy to think of 
David Fincher ever being young. Yeah, he was young. Not only was he young, he was younger than you and I are now, and mm-hmm. he was in charge of this huge studio franchise. The onus was upon him to salvage it. That's pressure. Yeah, That's studio studios really putting a hurting on him to be like, hey, this is all on you, buddy. Yeah. And it's like, well, shit, this is a guy who made music videos. Yeah, gorgeous looking. He did Madonna videos. Mm-hmm. David Fincher obviously knew what he was doing in certain regards to this film. I mean, technically, it looks good. Mm-hmm. It has a, a consistent color motif. It's consistent in its themes. It's consistent in its tone. When it starts exploding left and right, that's when you can really tell when the studio is horning themselves in against uh, Fincher's wishes. I mean, what would you do, Bird? You're young. You want to be successful. You want people to like you. But you have all these old assholes with all your money saying, eh, you don't know what you're talking about, kid. Uh, do it this way or you're fired. I mean, what do you do when you're in that position? You make the movie. You make the movie. That's it. As best you can. Yeah. I mean, Richard Donner went through this crap with Superman. He went through this with the, the Salkind brothers. And mm-hmm. they were like, you got to do it like this and you got to do it like that. And this idea is stupid and we don't like it. And we're paying for the movies. Do it our way. me. And, <laughs> and Fox didn't have Salkind level shittiness going on there, but it wasn't too far removed from it because creatively... Fincher and Geiger worked together closely, and Geiger really wanted to make the xenomorph have human lips. So it would. <laughs> I heard about that. So it would kiss people and stick its human tongue down the, your throat, <laughs> and then yank up all your guts and shit through your mouth. And they really wanted to do this. That's what human tongues do. Yeah. Right. Well, Fincher said no, and so if if Fincher can know when to tap the brakes, then that kid obviously was onto something. Yeah. And um, then the tongue. The tongue of the first alien was so like a, uh, in a way, not organic. It was a tube with with these teeth in front. It was really not. So I make a very elegant tongue, like a, like a sword. They can roll the tongue out, push out, and then it goes. The victim got in the in the mouth, and by pulling back, the whole interior of the victim of the <laughs> victim came out. It must be hor- horrible. Venture was doing just fine. Everyone was backing him up. You got to remember, this kid worked at ILM. Mm-hmm. This kid worked at ILM before he was making music videos, before he was making Alien 3. So he, he was not an idiot. And they brought back Geiger to like redesign the alien xenomorph because uh, he needed to look different. In the theatrical edition, the xenomorph uh, impregnates a dog. Yeah. Special edition, it impregnates an ox. So it doesn't really have any bearing on what the alien looks like ultimately, but it was supposed to look different enough that you could notice it. And, and it is. It's, it's, it's four-legged. It's four-legged. It's very lean and almost Puma-esque. Of course. So the, uh, design-wise, the movie was solid. But like in terms of technical, like all the post stuff. Execution. Like sound was garbage. Like we were watching the special edition. This is like the ultimate cut couldn't hear a word a lot of these people were saying and they're all english i feel like i was watching the red writing trilogy again i had to put the subtitles on because everyone's so hopelessly british in this thing yeah. i'm like what what was that charles dance what did you say no there, there are moments we're listening to this thing on yeah. full blast so when the action happens mm-hmm. and when the edm comes in for the big rape scene it's like loud 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 yeah. but when people are actually having plot moving dialogue nothing it's just, couldn't i almost wanted to get out of the couch and like walk up to the television and put my ear my one good ear against it and be like huh yep 
What? Speaking of Charles Dance, that guy was looking for romance Ooh, in this yeah. movie. Uh, Charles Dirty Dance. It's so weird to go back to this movie after watching Game of Thrones for so long because in my brain now, he's Tywin Lannister. Anytime I see him in anything else, I'm like, there's Tywin Lannister. Mm -hmm. So when I go back to Alien and he's young and he's studly. One of the most jarring moments of this movie Look. is when early on, Ellen Ripley is just sitting there with Charles Dance. Mm -hmm. He's being handsome. Yep. She's a babe. Obviously. And she just basically looks at him and says, you don't fuck? Yeah. And he turns her down because he has integrity. Because now we're in the plot of this movie and where Ripley ended up is on a prison planet where these hopeless murderers and rapists and child molesters and just the worst mm -hmm. humanity ever created are on this far off prison outpost, but they found God somehow in the cosmos and they found the righteous path and they learned how to be at peace with what they are and they stay. Yeah. Like Charles Dance was a prisoner there once and when his sentence ended, he decided to stick around because he he knew medicine and he could help these people. They th there's a bond, a kinship there. So that that monk uh, motif that Ward wanted to put into the film, that that remained, that sense of brotherhood and mm -hmm. togetherness. I like that. It's just that someone along the writing line was like, well, what if instead of being like monks and good people, what if they have a genetic uh, disposition which makes them like extra mean and horny yeah. and just like, I got an IQ of 85, I just can't stop raping. You know what's funny about 85 in this movie? The illustrious Ralph Brown. Ralph Brown, who, uh, who was also in uh, With Nail and I. And also in Wayne's World 2. I had to beat them to death with their own shoes. But here's a really interesting point about that guy, is that Charles Dance, his mm -hmm. character, was originally supposed to be played by Richard E. Grant. Oh, wow. And we already know that Paul McGann's in that movie because he remains in that movie, but Paul McGann and Richard E. Grant and Ralph Brown, they could have all been in Alien 3, with Nail and I in Alien 3. That's pretty impressive. Isn't that insane? Perfume, pumps. You'll be pleased to hear Monty's invited us for drinks. Balls to Monty, we're getting out. Balls to Monty? I just spent an hour flattering the bugger. There's one over there that doesn't like the perfume, a big one. Don't look, don't look. We're in danger, we've got to get out. What are you talking about? I've been called a ponce. What fucker said that? I called him a ponce. And now I'm calling you one. Ponce! But uh, insofar as like a cute other little Easter egg, uh, Christopher Fairbank, who played Murphy, who was the guy with the ox who was helping him drag it in at the beginning of the movie, uh, that dude was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Really? He, he was the guy who, who Peter Quill was trying to sell the Infinity Stone to until he realizes that Ronan's looking for it and he kicks him out of his jewelry store. <laughs> and guess what else? That dude was in Batman, and you'll never guess who he was. Do you want your cut of this money or not? Now shut up. Shut up. That's the guy. That's him. He's the guy who says, what are you? Oh, wow. Yeah, so That's I, amazing. Had, I had no idea. I'm just like combing through all these little factoids of the movie, and I came across that one, and I was like, that are, that's insane. This is such a good cast. Yeah, it really this is. This is one of the classic examples of wasting a great cast on... Mm -hmm. A bad script. Yeah. We can't just put all the problems of this film at the doorstep of the writers because technically, I mean, post-production, they that was probably the most thankless job in the history of thankless jobs. It's a miracle that movie even got out. They did nothing to finesse the post-after effects. Like, 
when they, some of the worst CGI I've ever seen. Well, the compositions were really bad. And here's an interesting thing, Bert, is that a lot of the time that alienates CGI. It's an oh, actual it's a dude. It, no, it's either a dude or it's a doll on poles, like a tiny one, and they would shoot it, and then they would like use composites against like either mats or an actual frame. And the technology was not there, so they couldn't see where. You know, they didn't have motion capture like Andy Serkis can like walk in and clean a AK-47 as an ape and they know exactly how that's going to look immediately. No, they're like, uh, he's running down a hallway and they'll just do it like that. So they used it as sparingly as they could. But when they did, the flatting wasn't there. The alien is visibly an off green. The shadows are visibly black. It pops out like a sore thumb. It does not look good. It looks terrible. And what's funny is that then there are moments... You'll notice when it's the human actor yeah. in a costume mm-hmm. and his body is completely out of proportion yeah. from every other shot of well, the alien. Well, that was also a problem I had with the first alien movie. Like you could and most of the time it was a dude in a suit. That's why they shot it in like this like awful industrial death tank. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the alien could slip into the shadows and they wouldn't have to worry about it. Um, but two years later they made Jurassic Park. So mm-hmm. there's no excuse to at least put out halfway passable stuff 20th century fox at the time and still is one of the biggest studios on the planet and they couldn't rally enough to kick out a halfway decent looking science fiction horror movie no it's because they were wasting all their money on uh writers i was gonna say on the uh early days of the fox network Mm. they were just putting too much money into the simpsons and married with children yeah like uh, Ed O'Neill was a uh, he was asking for double his salary, right? Yeah, he was to yeah. stick his hand two, down his pants. Two cheeseburgers instead of one. Yeah, exactly. You know what's funny to think about Fox? When I was a kid, Fox was like the channel. It was the cool channel. It was the channel that was always on. Yeah, because you wanted to watch Get a Life. Yeah, you don't. When you're a kid, you don't think about like Rupert Murdoch and his agenda. You'd think about oh Simpsons, and then in the morning they had Fox Kids and they mm-hmm. had the X Men and Spider Man. That ruled. Yeah, and that totally ruled. So what do you think about Charles Dunton in this movie? Boy, he kicks so much ass. Man, that guy is the bullshit artist. Anybody who spoke, and if he smelled a whiff of it, he called it immediately. There should be a supercut of Charles Dutton yelling bullshit at people in this movie, because it happens so often. That's his most frequently uttered line. Mm-hmm. Also, fuck. He says fuck so well. It's and he says swearing, yeah. Yeah, last uh, My favorite line from Charles S. Dutton mm. uh, takes place towards the end of the movie, ah. when they finally... Retrapped the alien. Mm-hmm. Charles S. Dutton is fighting it off. They're about to dump hot lead on him. Yeah. And he's just like, This is how you fight, motherfucker. That was, I got stoked. Like, in that moment where he's actually rolling with that alien. That's the first time you've ever seen anyone do that in any of these movies. And we had, like, fucking Marines in, this, in the last one, and they're all shitting their britches with their giant ass guns, completely and utterly worthless. Meanwhile, Charles, Charles S. Dutton's just like, grabbing him by the shoulders and shaking him around and rolling around in a confined area, and he's getting slashed and torn apart, and he dies screaming. Yeah. That is a warrior born. I Absolutely. was I was very pumped about that character. No! no. What do I do? I'm staying. Oh, shit! There's gonna be ten tons of hot lead in the air! I'm telling you, I wanna die! We got a deal! Remember? It dies first, then you! I'm not gonna move without you! Now get going! <sighs> Got a hold of 
hold it here. What about me? God will take care of you now, sister. No! Pour the lead. Charles S. Dutton would be mm-hmm. an example of a great character, character Dylan, mm-hmm. awesome, kicks ass, yeah. and it's a perfect use of an actor in this film. Yeah. Uh, Charles Dance is pretty close, but then they kill him, and it's just like, well, Very quickly, too. Yeah. It was just kind of disappointing to see him leave so quickly. Now, here's an example of a waste of an actor and a waste of a character from this film. All right. Lance Henriksen uh-huh. returning as bishop slash return like as dude some a, dude another bishop they don't really give him a name he's just responsible for the design of bishop but here's the cool thing about having bishop back it's not in the theatrical cut which is a shame because the amount of finesse that went into the animatronics on that that is not Lance Hendrickson covered in milk. No, it's that, not. That is a robot made to look like a fucked up bishop, and it looked not only convincing, but to have Lance come in and do the uh, the audio for that, it, it blends together so well, and it connects the film to Alien so well. And how they didn't see the merit in keeping it in the movie, it baffles me. So like when you see it now, like if you watch Aliens recently and you watch Alien 3 to follow it up, there is plenty of connective tissue, even though... Thematically, it's a very different film, and functionally, it's a very different film. Bishop kind of ties it all together, and then they squander it by having him come in at the very end and go, Booga booga, I'm a friendly face, and I'm really bad at lying to people. So why did the Whalen Takani Corporation bring me a dipshit to convince you, who doesn't trust us at all, to come with us and let us harvest the queen alien in your chest? Yeah. It's like, you want to talk about a sucker play, that, that was it right there. Ripley, think of all we can learn from it. It's the chance of a lifetime. You must let me have it. It's a magnificent specimen. Who knew? Who knew that she wasn't going to fall for that one? Oh, my God. So, And that's another part of the movie that I really, really love is Scorny Weaver in this movie. She didn't need to do this movie. Oh, they paid her to do it. They paid her more to shave her head. The whole function of Sigourney Weaver in this movie is she is the cipher. Mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to her and unbeknownst to us. I mean, there are moments in the film where she like stops what she's doing and like clutches at her chest and you think that she's just ill. That was one of the absolute surprises for me as a kid watching the movie. I didn't realize that she had an alien in her chest because I was a stupid kid and I don't know anything. Mm -hmm. But like you watch it now and you're an adult and you see play out, it's pretty pretty obvious where they're going with it. But that reveal with Bishop and then... Ripley deciding to do what she needs to do. That's all stemming from the Ward screenplay, where the only way it could possibly end with any sort of closure to this really wackadoodle trilogy of movies is for Ripley to kill herself. And I think that was a really brave and creative decision to make. And Sigourney Weaver handles it so well. Like, it's so noble. Like, she realizes, like, if these fuckers get their hands on me, they're going to be the end of everything. Yep. And you can tell she doesn't feel great about it. No. You know, she tries to get Charles Dutton to kill her. 
he won't do it until after they killed the xenomorph. Mm-hmm. That that part kind of irked me a little bit when they were in the uh, the pit where the iron's supposed to get dropped on him. Yeah, and he says, "No, no, no, that's not our deal. You get up there, and then I take care of you. It does, and then you do." And then he decides to stay behind and so, sacrifice himself. And sacrifice himself. Now I'm like, I okay. Also, all these like parts, all these contrived, stereotypical uh, like parts started clicking into place, but no one oiled this machine so I could hear the gears clank, grinding. Clank, and clank, it's clank. just like, oh my god, it's so loud. I I can't tr- I can't stomach this plot any longer and we just went through uh, ran through 40 minutes of character uh, growth with these guys and then they all die very unceremoniously it's so, kind of funny too because they they kill off most of the interesting characters slash best actors mm-hmm. from the prison planet and so you're left with morse who's just like which one know, was morse the bald one or the bald one yeah he, he was a a leftover extra from any Mad Max movie ever yeah. made. All these dudes look great. They all look like prisoners. But I, with the exception of the few dudes I've seen in other movies, I couldn't tell any of them apart now. Even mm-hmm. when I was a kid, I, I couldn't tell shit from shit. These characters are not great characters. There's a moment where they actually try to rape Ripley. Like, they, they corner her, like, she, this is right after when she finds Bishop, and they corner her, and they, like, got her up against the wall, and it looks like they're really going to go through with it until Charles close. does. It's super close, and it's very uncomfortable to watch. And then you're supposed to give a shit about these guys? You're supposed to give a shit about Ripley. So having Charles Dutton come in and save her, you know, it serves the plot of this movie, but it does not serve Ripley as a character at all because Ripley has always had her own agency. She's always been up against a wall of, like, man bullshit but she's always transcended it Mm -hmm. to actually throw her up against a wall under threat of rape that that, that's a betrayal of character and it's a betrayal of themes for the entire franchise no matter how silly it is it's like once a horror movie once an action movie then once a horror action movie it doesn't matter the fact is is that ripley remains the current throughout and it 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 falls apart utterly in this movie they had to do that just to really hammer home the point that these guys have Two Y chromosomes, mm-hmm. and they're really horny, and they yeah. really like to inflict damage. When an alien shows up, they're all scared shitless. Well, exactly. But like earlier in the film, like the warden says, "I don't want you around general population because you're going to disrupt things." These guys haven't seen women in years, and when they saw them, they didn't do great things with them. So do me a favor and just stay in the infirmary with Charles Dance. He's a solid guy. You'll like him. But Charles Dance is like, oh, you can go do whatever the hell you want. He respects her, uh, and she just goes and she like establishes the pecking order. She sits at the toughest table in the cafeteria and illustrates that she's not afraid of any of them. She shaves her head just to get to right, blend in. To blend in. And then what happens next? Like five scenes later, there they are spreading her legs. It, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit at all because these are guys, these are men of God now. Like they've all overcome. I mean, Charles Dutton even like has that moment where he's looking at her when they first meet and he's like, you're just going to fuck everything up. But I don't think that's what he meant. I think he, he was, she was going to fuck everything up because of what she could possibly bring with her. What's coming along with her. That you kind see, of thing. You think that these characters have overcome, mm-hmm. but it turns out that being on this prison planet and swearing oaths of, uh, when you don't do it, you, uh, celibacy, celibacy, Turns out that they've actually undercome. Oh, I see that. Yeah. Wow, just like this movie, you took the long way around took to get the to that long point. Way to get to that, uh, I appreciate it. This movie had me dozing off a little bit at points. Oh, you definitely were not. And I was, saw you when I was younger. When I saw Aliens, I was like, "Wouldn't it be great if she just went home?" <laughs> she went through so much in the last movie. Well, what if this was just a movie about her going home? 
Silly me. Whoops. Fuck! So, uh, to wrap this up, Bertie, tell me, what are your final thoughts on Alien 3? I think it stinks no matter what, but mm. I don't think it's David Fitcher's fault inherently. Yeah. I think it's the studio. I think it's the pre-production, the post-production. Mm-hmm. I think David Fincher did what he could. I'll tell you this. You know that David Fincher directed the music video for Janie Got a Gun <laughs> by Aerosmith? Yeah, I somehow know that, yeah. I'd rather watch that than watch Alien 3. Yeah, that's a really bad video. Well, and also... The entire time, there's an Aerosmith song playing. <laughs> so you, when you watch it, you have to listen to Aerosmith. Yeah. Oh god. And not good Aerosmith from no. the '70s when they were all all on drugs. Yeah. This no. is like when they're cleaned up. And, yeah. Jane's yeah. got a gun. Oof. Yeah. Well, I'm with you. I think Alien Three, it has interesting things attached to it, but I think that's more uh, to do with what happened before the movie got made, mm-hmm. which in uh, in and of itself is a far more interesting story. Yeah, and you know, I feel bad for Rennie Harlan because it seems like he just can't get anything right in his career. Yeah, well, he he did just fine. So don't go feeling too sorry for that guy unless we forget this guy made Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Yeah. Yeah, it was garbage. That, that <laughs> The reason that they approached him, Fox approached him after seeing... Four? Four. And saying like, this is the guy. This is the guy. This is the guy. From, from Nightmare on Elm Street 4, they were like, this is the dude we want. To save our franchise and well, keep us from know, bankruptcy. Then he went and made the world's worst pirate movie with uh, Gina Davis, his wife. and Yeah, Cutthroat Island. I remember that. Career, wow. career over. Yeah, well, he was still married to Gina Davis. I think he left that part out. So, yeah, don't feel too sorry for Rennie Harlan. Um, Rennie, why did you decide to make a pirate movie? Pirate movies, uh, boy, they, it, it's been a fantasy of mine. I, I, uh, I loved pirate movies when I was a kid. I played pirates all the time. So when I was given this screenplay a couple of years ago, I said, you've got to be kidding. This is, this is heaven. I, I was very, very excited. All right, so I've got a question for you. Lay it on me. Outside of Ridley Scott, James Cameron, mm-hmm. David Fincher, sure. that French guy that directed Alien Resurrection, yeah. who would you like to see take on the mantle of the Alien franchise to give it some new life? I would say no one. I, I would love to see this franchise die. I would love nothing more. I don't think it's interesting enough. To justify all these movies, I don't think the connection between the ten- tenuous connection to the Predator franchise is enough to keep it going. And that's you could tell that's kind of where they want to go. They're rebooting the Predator franchise again right around the same time that they're setting, uh, course correcting the Alien franchise from the Prometheus debacle. I just don't want any of it. I want it to go away. But to answer your question, to be fair. If we had to have another Alien movie, and Ridley Scott is getting up there in the years, and he's never improved as a storyteller, ever. Never. He's a terrible fucking storyteller who just happens to make gorgeous-looking films. So I would say get rid of Ridley Scott, let him go host midnight monster movies on TBS, whatever he's about to be doing, and then bring in a visual director that knows what they're doing. And I think that they're already doing it with uh, Blade Runner Mm -hmm. uh, 2049. Uh, Denis Villeneuve is directing that movie. I think that he is the successor to Ridley Scott. I honestly believe that to be the case. So if Blade Runner turns out to be halfway okay, which it won't, and that's another podcast in and of itself, then put him on an Alien movie. That's what I would say. You know, thanks to uh, Alien Covenant, at least we now have a film in which Michael Fassbender and Danny McBride (laughs) in inexplicably share the screen. It's going to be so bad, Bird. It's going to be bad, I'm telling you. I mean, as long as it doesn't put me to sleep like this movie. Bird, it's about couples in space. 
We're going to have babies in space. It's going to be great. Yeah. Colonizing. No. no. And hopefully that entire dream is just crushed and everybody's murdered. Right. So this week we're going to try something a little different. Uh, we typically do this over in Casual Wednesdays, but we reached out on social media and asked you, our listeners, the pressing questions on our mind. And this week's question, what did you think about Alien 3? Did you like it? Did you hate it? We wanted to know. And we asked and you answered. So over on Facebook, our man, Alfred Alley, who also contributes on Anti-Monitor, he said a film, it's a film with a ton of potential given to an amazing filmmaker who unfortunately didn't have the clout to shut out studio meddling, which is everything that we knew. But he said, but given the crowd-pleasing finale of Aliens, it's impressive that Alien 3 was allowed to be so unrelentingly dark. And I agree. I think that's a really awesome insight because Aliens is really machismo, gung-ho, rah-rah jingoism uh, given into the form. It's like uh, Starship Troopers without the irony. And with the Paul Reiser. And, And with the Paul Reiser, whereas Alien 3 is very much a bleak movie so thematically there they couldn't be any different that's a that's good input there alfred our good friend joe hammerling oh joe yeah writer for uh tiny mixtapes and mm-hmm. other things uh he pointed out not great but also not the blight on cinema that some people make it out to be well, we'll we have time for one more we're going to go over to twitter for this one alex chung who is at Alex underscore Chunk, said, I think Alien 3 is a great David Fincher movie and works by itself, but is a puzzling Alien sequel. Yes, Alex, absolutely. And that's it. That's all the time we have for this week. Uh, this week's installment of Anti-Monitor. Need more of this stupid little podcast in your life? Check out our 39-episode archive over on iTunes. And rate and subscribe while you're there. Tell us how we're doing. Or search Anti-Monitor over on DoomRocket.com. You can look us up on Twitter. I'm at Jared Jones underscore. Birdie, where can they find you? I am at BirdMoney on all platforms. Thank you, Bird. We haven't done this in a while. It was good to be back. Absolutely. Uh, even, even if it was that movie. Hey, that's the cross we bear. That's true. All right? Well, anyway, that's all we got for this week. So uh, until next time, I remain Jared. That's Bert over there. And from all of us here at DoomRocket.com. I had to beat them to death with their own shoes. <laughs>